This is Michael Cohen, and you're listening to the Mayor Culpa Podcast. I'm going to sound like a broken record, talking about gun violence again. But the United States outdid itself, and we had the deadliest weekend of mass shootings all year. Over a three-day period, and I'm talking about from Friday to Sunday, there were 17 people killed, at least 82 people wounded, in Philadelphia, in Chattanooga, in Omaha, cities and towns coast to coast. Someone brought a gun to a public event and just started fucking shooting. And yet, a full 44% of Republicans have been brainwashed into believing that mass murder is simply the price we pay for freedom. Republicans, if you're listening, gun violence isn't freedom. It's fucking insanity. The people are hurting. Families are, parents are. And look, as as, as divided as our country is, this gun responsibility issue is one that we agree on more than we don't. It really is. Look, this should be it. A nonpartisan issue. This should not be a partisan issue. There is not a Democratic or Republican value in one single act of these shooters. It's not. But people in power have failed to act. So we're asking you, and I'm asking you, will you please ask yourselves, can both sides rise above? Can both sides see beyond the political problem at hand and admit that we have a life preservation problem on our hands. Texas Senator John Cornyn, the Republican that Biden hoped was reasonable, said Republicans would only agree to narrowly targeted measures to address gun violence and rejected an end of the week deadline for a deal set by Chuck Schumer. What a surprise. And rather than get some guns off the street, Cornyn insists we need to make schools harder targets. Cornyn's Democratic counterpart in the negotiations is the intrepid Senator Chris Murphy, who came to the table probably hoping that a Texas lawmaker would want to take action after the mass murder of schoolchildren in Uvalde. But no, and why? When Cornyn can just stall long enough for it to forget about those kids, but as long as Murphy keeps showing up to the fight, there's hope. A good guy on a mission to save America from itself makes the bad guy being paid by the NRA look like the murderer that he is. Speaking of murderers, the students at Texas A&M can relax a little bit because Kyle Rittenhouse will not be attending classes in the fall as he earlier claimed. In fact, Texas A&M never received his application. People right there. However, Rittenhouse, fueled by Johnny Depp's recent win in a defamation lawsuit against Amber Heard, announced on Fox News Monday that he is suing Mark Zuckerberg, Facebook, various other social media sites, and probably Whoopi Goldberg. I mean, seriously? Because they labeled him a murderer and a white supremacist. He says that the media needs to be held accountable because he can't live a normal life. Quick refresher, Rittenhouse, then 17, carried illegal firearms across state lines. He killed two unarmed protesters, seriously injured another, and then got off in court with zero accountability. But lots and lots of hate online and in the press. 
Such is the price of fame, Kyle. And guess what? There is no normal life after murder. Do you guys remember what life was like before COVID? I do. It's a mass shooting every week. Anyone remember that? Thank God for COVID. <laughs> Something had to lock these murderous whites up, keep them in the house. Also on Monday, the Supreme Court declined to hear an appeal from the St. Louis couple who stood on their front lawn and waved guns at protesters after the killing of George Floyd. The couple faced an indefinite suspension of their law licenses. Mark McCloskey, a personal injury attorney, I mean, go figure, right? And Republican candidate for the U.S. Senate, Missouri, argued during a debate last week that video games, reality TV, and other media had created a culture of death and called for the return to broken window policing, which targets minor crimes and was the specialty of the disgraced mayor, Rudy fucking Colludi Giuliani. And one last bit from the news of The Strange File. Far-right bottom feeder and Breitbart hack Milo Yiannopoulos has ditched early retirement to sign on as Marjorie Taylor Greene's unpaid intern for the summer. Milo, now 37, has recently come out as ex-gay, supports conversion therapy, and asks us all to pray for him because his political skills are rusty. Well, good luck to the happy couple. But the real news couldn't come at a better time as we head into the January 6th hearings. The bizarre saga of Steve Bannon and Peter Navarro is still unfolding. Last Friday, Steve Bannon, coup plotter, war room podcaster, and senior aide to the former president, was indicted by a federal grand jury on two counts of contempt of Congress after refusing to provide testimony and documents to the January 6th committee. Bannon, hard-pressed on a subpoena because Trump apparently ordered all of the former cronies to invoke immunity and not to say anything or turn over any documents based on some deranged notion that they are protected under executive privilege. Well, guess what, moron? You're not, and Bannon is expected to go on trial in D.C. in July. This morning, a defiant Steve Bannon vowing to fight contempt of Congress charges. Well, I'm never going to back down, and they, they, they took on the wrong guy this time. Unapologetic party animal and former Trump aide Sam Nunberg told The Atlantic that Bannon never believed any of Trump's big lie bullshit, but went along with it so that he'd get a pardon in the end. Bannon, at the time, was facing fraud charges connected to the bogus We Build a Wall online fundraising scam and finally did get his pardon in the very last days of the Trump administration that one pundit likened to the last helicopter leaving Saigon. Nunberg went on to say, the tragedy of Steve Bannon is that when he leaves the White House, he's known as the great manipulator, the intellectual heavy of the international populist uprising. But still, he ends up in the fetal position at Trump's feet. Bannon's coup co-conspirator Peter Navarro was yanked off a plane last week because he too rejected his subpoena and was considered a flight risk by federal prosecutors who, according to the much maligned Navarro, strip-searched him at the airport. Navarro was live on TV with MSNBC commentator Ari Melber when he famously described his plot to keep Trump in office as the Green Bay Sweep. Navarro claims it was a perfect plan. We didn't even need any protesters because we had over 100 congressmen committed to it. 
The Green Bay sweep may have worked for the Packers, but tanked for the insurrectionists. That's false, but I, I the question for the start of the interview. We'll yes, it is fine. That, but but, but the, but the question for the start the of the interview I is have. I just wanna that's I just wanna make sure here that we're kind of going by rules of the road. The question is yeah, and you'll you get gotta, time to talk. I know you gotta say that. And and what I'm saying is that, that I was don't have to say anything, sir. I'm asking you the question is sure. What was the plan itself and who was in on it? Trump's former chief of staff and deputy chief of staff, Mark Meadows and Dan Scavino, were also neck deep in the efforts to overturn the 2020 election, also rejected subpoenas, and were also held in contempt. But they haven't been indicted, and the reasoning for that is still somewhat murky. We find the decision by the DOJ to reward Mark Meadows and Dan Scavino for their continued attack on the rule of law puzzling, said committee chairman Benny Thompson. But many speculate that because they negotiated with the committee's lawyers, Meadows turned over thousands of documents, phone records, and text messages to the panel that unlike Navarro and Bannon, they played ball. And for now, the DOJ is backing off. If only the Proud Boys had been so lucky. Do say there's a wild man inside all of us. If only he would stay inside. Henry Enrique Tarrio, former chairman of the Proud Boys and four of his top lieutenants, were indicted on a new federal charge of seditious conspiracy on Monday. The DOJ has expanded on earlier charges with allegations of organized plotting to oppose through violence the certification of President Biden's election victory, culminating in the attack on the Capitol by a mob on January 6th of 2021. The Proud Boys are the second batch of bad hombres to be busted in connection with January 6th this year. 11 Oath Keepers were also charged with sedition and trying to overthrow the government in January. Uh, there's a great deal they haven't seen, but perhaps most important is the public hasn't seen it uh, woven together. A British documentary filmmaker, Nick Husted, who followed the Proud Boys as the Capitol riot unfolded, will appear as a key witness when the House Committee holds their first primetime hearings on Thursday, NBC News has confirmed. And according to the House Committee, Kustad's testimony promises to reveal stunning new details about the planning and the actual medieval hand-to-hand -hand attack perpetrated on the Capitol by the paramilitary hate groups and their associates. And Kustad won't be the only filmmaker in the house on Thursday. James Goldston, the former president of ABC News and producer of seminal news shows like Nightline and Good Morning America, is helping the committee plan their presentation so that it doesn't look like traditionally dull congressional proceedings. Using multimedia presentations to weave a narrative outlining the committee's findings, they hope to both show and tell how the former president and his allies peddled the big lie and laid the groundwork for the riot at the Capitol. The American people, I think, know a great deal already. They've seen a number of bombshells already. Uh, there's a great deal they haven't seen, but perhaps most important is the public hasn't seen it uh, woven together. The committee is also planning to highlight the scheme to appoint fake electors and explore whether top Trump campaign officials initiated the strategy as part of the larger plot to overturn the election. 
The half-baked idea that Vice President Mike Pence could choose to recognize Trump's electors over Biden's is at the heart of the case that the committee will lay out, which will prove that after Vice President Pence decided to recognize the official electors and not the fakes, Trump supporters stormed the Capitol, ready to hang Mike Pence. I hope Mike is going to do the right thing. I hope so. I hope so. Because if Mike Pence does the right thing, we win the election. Add insult to injury, there's also evidence that Trump was all for it, which might account for why it took the orange menace so fucking damn long to call off the mob. Over the last 10 months of the committee's investigation, we've already learned so much, thanks to scoop after scoop from CNN and other outlets. Yet, pro-Trump media has denied, deflected, defended, or just outright ignored the headlines. I mean, think about it. The coup plot was rooted in a big lie. And ever since then, new lies have surrounded it. Lies heard on shows like Tucker Carlson's on Fox. A wholly illegitimate committee. January 6th is a phony beltway issue. Just a, uh, an echo chamber, a lefty echo chamber. January 6th, what a lot of crap. Also in question, the lack of phone records on the 6th. Missing are the official White House notation of calls placed to or by Trump for 457 minutes from 11.17 a.m. to 6.54 p.m. Without the records, the committee is now investigating whether Trump communicated through back channels, through phones or aides or burner phones, according to Axios. Perhaps that's why Don Jr. had such a tough time getting through to Pops. All in all, it's looking like the committee is, as Jamie Raskin said, going to blow the roof off the house. So be sure to tune in. Here's the deal. All the major news outfits, CBS, NBC, ABC, MSNBC, CNN, will be covering the hearings live, while the Fox News Channel will stay with its usual primetime lineup. Well, that's actually good. No, it's actually good. We'll hear directly from the people who planned the coup. And now for the main event. We welcome back my next guest on Maya Culpa, the ever astute Harry Littman. Harry is a former U.S. Attorney and Deputy Assistant Attorney General. Littman is the legal affairs columnist for the Los Angeles Times opinion page and professor of constitutional law at UCLA and UCSD. He can be seen as a legal and political commentator on CBS, NPR, MSNBC, and CNN. Littman is also the creator and host of the Talking Feds podcast, which is a must-listen for its sharp analysis of the myriad of corruptions, crimes, and moral failures of the Trump era and beyond. Harry joins me today on Mea Culpa as we gear up for the January 6th hearings and talk strategy for the midterm elections. So let's go now to that conversation. Okay, so Harry, it seems to me that the GOP is throwing spaghetti against the wall, just trying to figure out some counterattack on the Democrats, who of course are now gearing up to drag them through the mud during the upcoming January 6th hearings. Now, Fox News not surprisingly, is rumbling about this new evidence that Mike Flynn, I mean, seriously, Mike Flynn of all people, is prepared to present. And I understand that he's filed a lawsuit against the FBI and the DOJ, kind of like what I did, right? Now, he's saying that Barack Obama set him up. Do me a favor if you can. 
Explain this to my listeners. Explain it to me. Is Mike Flynn just fucking crazy, or is he, or is he crazy like a fox? Yeah, and I think the question is, was he always crazy? Because, um, you know, he was when first nominated, seemed to be a kind of a reputable guy, and he's like gone in a downward spiral, getting more and more crazy. So he now looks, you know, like a guy muttering on the back of a bus. Look, he is nominated to be the national security advisor and he's caught talking to uh, folks in Russia before he is even on the job and trying to make foreign policy when we have one president at a time and then lying about it. The notion that the FBI could have just ignored that is risable. And then to the coup de grace is... (laughs) The newly elected president of the United States goes to the head of the FBI and says, can you cut him a break and just, uh, you know, let him off a a clear case of obstruction, whatever you think. And I know some of this arises in the wake of the Sussman acquittal. We can talk about that if you like. But the FBI would have been derelict to ignore that set of circumstances, which raised a real possibility that our national security advisor was compromised by one of our two biggest global adversaries. So, you know, it has been a fact free position that has led him to become increasingly bold. And of course, the fact that he or anyone in the GOP is bringing a lawsuit says, you know, nothing. They have failed time after time after time after time, and they're more sort of publicity stunts. But he is, you know, uh, using some kind of drugs if he's trying to assert that the, the the circumstances that led to his dismissal and then the suspicion against Trump should have just been ignored by a national security agency. So again, my question with him has been like, Did he start that way and we didn't know it and his previous reputation was unwarranted or did he somehow wig out more and more and more starting at the beginning of 2017? You know, but this doesn't take into consideration the fact that he was working for Donald Trump and under the Trump administration, under the methodology to which Donald Trump operates. This is standard operating procedure. Okay, Mike, you fucked up. You went, you met with Russia, they paid your son some money to his account, whatever it might have been. But we're going to speak to James, we're going to speak to Comey. We're going to speak to the head of the direct, don't worry, I got you, I'm the president, I'm the king, I can do whatever I want. And Mike, you've been loyal to me since the very beginning, and I appreciate that. Let me see what I can do. So Trump didn't think twice about going to, uh, to James Comey and to saying to Comey, hey, do me a favor, cut this, guy a, cut this guy some slack, cut him a break. He's actually a good guy. He's one of us. Right. It was only at that time that Comey said, are you fucking crazy? Did Donald turn on him and then ultimately make the decision that he needed to be fired? Why? Because he wasn't being loyal. He wouldn't play, he he wouldn't play a corrupt ball. And, and yeah, right. and, and look, this, this is really um, telling to me. By the way, we also have another little episode that happens right about now, which is Trump just giving up classified information to Russian diplomats who are visiting. But this March, I think it's March 15th. 
which is when, by the way, I, I sort of first got involved in a happenstance way in, in what's turned into this whole incredible brouhaha. But remember, we have these fevered days at the Department of Justice where Rod Rosenstein and others are saying, holy shit, do we have to invoke the 25th Amendment? Does somebody have to wear a wire going over there? Now, exactly as you say, the country knows, the DOJ knows what you knew already, which is Trump is crazy and complete considers himself completely unbound by any legal or cultural norm of being a president. But this is when his craziness first presented itself and when everyone was understandably freaking out and saying, what do we have to do about this guy? Do we have to open an investigation? I think we do, because look at the footsie he's playing with with, you know, our one of our biggest adversaries. So those seem now like halcyon days when it was just beginning to occur to people. Wow. Is the 45th president a, you know, complete what is he a sociopath? Is he a Manchurian you know, candidate who's already captured by Russia? We got to figure this out now. Ever since then, the country has learned to its chagrin. No, that's actually Donald Trump. But at the time, it, it was a mind blowing set of developments that that the FBI understandably thought it's got to come to grips with and figure out what's going on. You know, or merely just a useful idiot to Russia, which legitimately is probably what he really was. Maybe. You know, we still don't again, know. Like, a, like a mob boss, he didn't say to James Comey, I want you to drop any action or any investigation into Mike Flynn. He didn't say that, all right? He's stupid, but he's not that stupid. And what instead what he did is like, hey, Mike Flynn's a good guy. Knowing Can that he's see your doing what I yeah. always talked about, he speaks in code. And the fact that Comey didn't read the code, the fact that Comey didn't understand, which he did, what Donald wanted him to do and didn't, and didn't adhere to what we all knew that Donald wanted him to do. He's now a bad guy and he has to go. Oh, yeah. He's he disloyal, understood it. He just right? didn't adhere. That's right. He didn't play ball. And what did ball mean then? Actually taking a pending investigation and releasing it because the president, who may be implicated in the in the overall problem, says he's a good guy. I mean, that made you know Comey at you know Lordy Lordy. Uh, I'm glad I you know, I I made notes. Um, you know, Comey was absolutely gobsmacked by that. He knew what what the president of the United States was getting at. And as you say, if you're the mob boss or the president of the United States, you don't have to take out the uh, gun and put an exclamation point on. You just have to intimate. But Co I mean, Comey saw that again, though. It's just at a, at the time people didn't understand. Nobody understood just how crazy this guy was and how how completely you know unencumbered he was by any kind of legal or cultural restraint so people were understandably you know t you know completely panicked you know but the thing with when it comes to donald is he yeah. actually sees past the tree into the forest and one of the things that i'm very aware of is the fact that Donald believes everyone is as corrupt as he is. 
which is why he felt comfortable to go to James Comey, to go to others like Rod Rosenstein and ask people to do things because he knows that they're as dirty as he is. They just have a better veneer, all right, that they display. And look, and I always talk about my case, and I don't talk about my case because I'm trying to prove something. My book, which will be coming out, The Department of Injustice, I believe will do just that. But we reached out to James Comey for comment. Of course, he doesn't want to get involved into it. James Comey was responsible for the promoting of the Steele dossier, that garbage piece of shit document by that lunatic Christopher Steele, like this Gomer Pyle type of, you know, or Mr. Bean type of British intelligence. And I always say, thank God the Brits have us, because if that's the intelligence that they have, they're fucked as a nation. What he knows, Donald, is that everybody is corrupt and everybody has skeletons in their closet. And so he felt that he was he was comfortable enough to go to all of these people and try to whitewash the investigation that was pending against Mike Flynn. When he realized that that wasn't able to occur, what does Donald Trump always do? Now he cuts bait and it's time for him to go. You know, Political, Politico actually did uh, a story on this um, a while ago. Uh, the author, I think, was uh, Kyle Cheney. And in this, um, in this article, the thing that confused me, and I would love your take on to it, it says Michael Flynn, Donald Trump's former national security advisor, is suing to prevent the January 6th Select Committee from enforcing the subpoena for his testimony and documents. And what did he claim? He claims that it could violate multiple privileges, including his Fifth Amendment right against self-incrimination, by forcing him to disclose evidence related to multiple ongoing criminal matters. And when I read it, I had to read it for a second time. Wait, wait, wait. First of all, it could violate. Either it does or it doesn't. All right. And then you always have the right to invoke your Fifth Amendment. So what the hell was he talking about here? Yeah. And of course, he's gotten a pardon. So that so that much of the conduct, depending on how the pardon is phrased, he's free and clear from anyway. And I just want to go back again. It was he didn't. As you say, this was all new to us, uh, not to you, but to us. It wasn't simply that he didn't play ball. And, you know, I mean, what we also saw was Trump's M.O. of spite. Remember, he insists on Comey's being fired while Comey is traveling that day in Los Angeles and not being able to take the plane home. You know, that is that is just a I'm the I'm the king. You're a vassal. You didn't do what I said. Law and, um, you know, all principle be damned. All right. So, Flynn, I don't make much. Oh, you know, what the heck is that about? It's there's a standard playbook now and he and it, it doesn't it hasn't succeeded. But here's how it goes first. And he's done it is to say, I, you know, the January 6th committee has no legislative function. That's what they all do. That's what McCarthy has done most recently. John Eastman, even though court after court has rejected it. And then what they try to at least delay things, they try to make some kind of particular claim about my communications that you're trying to get are privileged. And that'll be, you know, anybody gets to be a lawyer. 
you know, uh, and to, to do attorney client or anybody gets to be a high level executive uh, official, notwithstanding, of course, that the president of the United States, the one and only, has already made clear there's no executive privilege being asserted in the way that it has to be. But it, it, it's just all a, a combination of delaying uh, tactics and really sort of thumb, a thumbing of the nose at the rule of law, which they see as all sort of, you know, democratic politics. So I, I don't I don't think there's anything creative or ingenious about uh, Flynn. He's doing what, you know, the rogues gallery all do making the same arguments they all do. They eventually will be all um, rejected, but maybe after sufficient delay. So he's not on the hot seat. And, you know, that's that's maybe what he cares about. I agree with you, though, is the last um, bastion of of uh, scoundrels will be if he's put there to just take the fifth. They, they seem unabashed about that as well. I think that we can expect uh, Donald Trump himself to do in the deposition. It looks like he's going to have to take in the New York AG case as as Eric already uh, did. Yeah, five hundred you know, times. Not even going to try. Five, yeah, they're not even going to try to get him for the one six committee because it's just not going to be worth the circus. And you know, but just take a step back and think about I don't know Ronald Reagan and Iran Contra or even Nixon. The complete contempt. Uh, that he shows for, you know, the rule of law, the gravity of what happened January 6th, the national imperative of finding out about it. All of this, he just um, dismisses in acerbic terms that very, very unfortunately, a big chunk of the country now adopts because Donald says so. And you have, you know, an ungodly percentage of Republicans who still believe that Biden didn't win the election. And this is bad shit for the body politic. He doesn't care. Right. And this, if I'm not mistaken, this entire, uh, well, a big part of the investigation into Flynn had to do with communications that were ongoing in the Oval Office with Trump when he proposed deploying the military to seize voting machines, right, so that they could then uh, stave off the obvious defeat of Trump in the 2020 election. I think that's just that's part of it. One of the things I think Mike Flynn and so many others fail to understand, not only Flynn, Donald, despite the fact he didn't have the email address and so on, but Ivanka, Jared, all of them. What they don't understand is that the emails and the communications and everything does not belong to them. It belongs to the, the people of the, to the United States. That's who it belongs to. So it's interesting that he's taking a position that his emails, which are not his, again, it's the same reason why Trump was not permitted to rip up or shred documents or allegedly burn documents. You're not, you're not permitted to do that. Or, Those or are take not, them away to Mar-a-Lago. Yeah. Or take them and stash them away in Mar-a-Lago. Exactly. He doesn't own them. So to assert a privilege over something that's not yours, again, I just think is an interesting, it's an interesting tact um, or tactic, um, you know, by Mike Flynn, by others. I know that, you know, John Eastman, you had Kalina Mitchell. There's a whole slew of people that were there. You know, Alex Jones, you know, at the time that there was a whole slew of people that are involved into this shenanigans. But I want to move on and ask you this. And well, let me just say one quick a, a quick thing, which is starting a week from today when the when the committee's first hearing occurs, 
you're going to have that. That's going to be the theme of sort of any port in a storm and different schemes starting, um, you know, with with uh, this one, including what what Flynn is um, uh, involved in. So we're going to hear that, you know, unroll. But um, but you're right that it won't it won't include him. Sorry. Go ahead. No, that's that's okay. So, you know, the interesting thing that's going to be going on on top of that is that the Republicans have now latched on to Nancy Pelosi's husband's DUI, right? I saw that come over the news, uh, the news feed. And it all seems like pretty desperate to me. But by all accounts, the committee has a hell of a lot um, of what seems like truly crazy conspiracy theories and, you know, harebrained plots that the coup plotters were exchanging in these text messages in these various different chat rooms. Do you think that we're in for some real surprises during the hearings? Well, they've I think they've had some and they're trying very hard to kind of husband them so that they can, you know, dole them out little by little and keep the American public uh, interested. But they've got a lot. Look, just yesterday um, there it had been hiding in plain sight, but it had been hiding. There was in the ongoing litigation between Eastman and the committee, the one that the judge said Trump and Eastman probably committed a crime. The latest filing by the um, Congress had just an exhibit, Exhibit A. But when you <laughs> looked at it, what what did it turn out to be? A memo written November 18th, barely two weeks after the election by a heretofore unknown um, lawyer. And it had all the elements that Eastman would later try to deploy. It had the uh, attempts to delay. It had let's get alternate electors. It had eventually try to get, um, you know, Pence to to violate the 12th Amendment or maybe knock him out and get Grassley in it. So it showed, in other words, that th- that these plots were a broader and we're talking about conspiracy liability if you're talking about crimes and b um were um uh you know went back earlier and and one one more quick thing to say here you know you're right about the documents and they're doing every kind of maneuver to to you know uh obstruct congress's inquiry and really not you know delay until it's done it's one of the reasons why people want the department of justice to come in because if they're investigating and they serve the warrant for all the emails forget all this nonsense of maybe so and privilege you turn it over and you turn it over now people are not going to screw around with the doj the way they are doing with congress nevertheless i think the committee's done a really good job of assembling a variety of uh, sources for different kinds of snippets of information and they are going to present um, their share of revelations and, you know, in their overall job of documenting kind of everything that happened uh, that day and before. And they're going to show, you know, a series of plots increasingly desperate ending with the whole, you know, crazy physical violence to keep the law from going forward of January 6th. Right. So on one hand, you have to remember the visual of the storm of people entering the Capitol. You have to remember the screams of the police officer whose head was being jammed in between the doorframe. The other screams of a guy being hit, another police officer who was being 
um, assaulted with a steel rod and, and all of the other atrocities that were going, that crazy shaman walking around with this guy screaming at himself while walking through the halls of Congress. And yet the Republicans think that they can justify this act by now going after Nancy Pelosi's husband, Paul, yeah. right? who was driving under the influence, there's no doubt about that, right? Had an accident in his Porsche with a, with a Jeep or something like that. It was a two-car DUI incident. Nevertheless, Paul Pelosi was actually booked into Napa County Detention Center and released on, on, on bail, $5,000 bail. I'm just not seeing the correlation between the two. I understand. Listen, what does Paul Pelosi have anything to do with the January 6th insurrection? What does Paul Pelosi's DUI have anything to do with the purchasing of burner phones by the Kramers, by, you know, in contact with Mark Meadows, um, all of the... Uh, the taking of the rally by Laura and Eric Trump uh, from that young girl, Jennifer Lawrence, and, you know, her fiancé boyfriend. What does any of this have to do other than what Donald Trump always does? Deflect, right? Deflect, deflect, deflect. I just don't see any correlation between the two. And if I was a member of Congress... I would turn around to the first idiot that decides to bring this up, which you know that they will because everything that they do is to be, a, it's, it's, it's designed to be a spectacle. Like when they attacked me during my House Oversight Committee, right? You know, will you agree here today, sir? <laughs> right, Khan, sir, I do not like you, sir. <laughs> right, will you agree? I do not, not like to green eggs and ham. Right. Right. Do you remember? You remember that idiot from I don't even know where he was from Louisiana something, or maybe it was Paul Gosar was one of those assholes who turns around and says, "I do not like you, sir, uh, but will you agree here before Congress <laughs> that you will not write a book? No. Will you agree, sir, not to do a movie? Uh, no. Right? I mean, this is the same thing. Everything that they do is designed. It's designed for a spectacle, and that's all that they're going to try to make here. I put an end to it. Yeah, well, look, I agree with everything you say um, and, and the series of what I think might be rhetorical uh, questions. It, <laughs> but I, with the with the um, exception of one word, and that word would be justify. I don't think the Republicans are trying to justify anything. I think rather they're trying to change the subject and they're trying to, you know, rely on the short attention span of the American people. They're trying to get past the, you know, um, the latest um, right. assault by a reporter in the in the uh, on the floor of the Congress and just, you know, deflect, I think, is is the better word. So their strategy, you know, it's, it's not um, now, of course, they've made a tactical decision a while back and now they're going to it's going to have a certain cost. That decision was not they had every opportunity to have a true bipartisan committee. Uh, and they right. they refused to. And now it's what the Dems call a bipartisan committee. But of course, the two Republicans are um, uh, of the same investigative uh, mindset. But they're not going to be able to, um, you know, filibuster and pontificate about Pelosi's husband during the hearings themselves. So at least 
uh, the committee and the American people will have a fair shot at a clean presentation of, you know, what happened. And they'll have to do this stuff sort of off off stage. So, you know, we deserve at least that. Right. Somebody to actually well, we to deserve something. Well, and, 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 you know, look, we deserve the cooperation of every public servant. We deserve Mark Meadows. We deserve Mike Pence. We deserve Donald Trump to come forward and explain what happened on this right. most cataclysmic of days since the Civil War. We won't get that, but at least we'll get somebody putting together a full um, report. And there's going to be quite a lot there. I'm I'm confident. So, you know, it's a big uh, day starting or a big month starting uh, June 9th. And we'll just see if the American public has the you know attention span to absorb it, because, you know, it's certainly a monumental event in American history already and one that we have to be super cautious about not it's not repeating in as soon as you know november but with with the election of all kinds of people who are ready to not just ready to embrace but ran on a platform of the big lie we're looking at at precarious times in in this country and hopefully an exposition of just what happened on january 6th will make some reasonable people you know uh hesitant to to continue to yeah, unf- i don't believe anybody's group. mind yeah. is going to be ch- i don't believe anyone's yeah. mind will be changed i believe okay. those people then that history love trump yeah. yeah yeah it will be it's it's a historical document but i would like to, if you can yeah. harry tell me what you know about how the committee is going to present their case i'm really curious you know as a former litigator myself yeah. uh and and now a disbarred attorney cuz it won't be like the impeachment hearings because because the republicans on the committee aren't going to obstruct their own case that's right right so do you think that these hearings make or break Liz Cheney? And further, how much of an idiot is Kevin McCarthy? I mean, does his career survive if the committee has real dirt on him, which I believe that they do? All right. Three questions. So on the on what the committee is going to do, I you know, it's not as if I have inside information, but reading the tea leaves. I think it's clear, one, they have ambition to be comprehensive. They want to lay out minute by minute. And some of this will involve, you know, second and third hand sources, everything that happened, but really uh, zeroing in, not just on January 6th, but on Trump himself. And I think that- Harry, why do you say second and- Harry, I'm so sorry. Why are you saying second and third hand sources? They have- thousands and thousands of emails and text messages that I would consider not to be secondhand, but I would consider to be, you know, firsthand knowledge. It's coming from people that were in the room with Donald. Mostly. But there's a, there's a few things involving, say, Mark Meadows, a few a few things involving there. So there's going to be some important junctures, but they still they have something for everything. But I think also their overall sort of prosecutorial strategy is to not go for broke, not have potentially hostile witnesses there uh, who might go uh, south on them. But rather, they're really, I think, going to be conservative in the sense of not wanting to fall flat, even if it means not taking the the chance that uh, of something that could be really dramatic. But they want to be controlled, bite sized, use video when there's any doubt about the witness. So those are the two aspects that that I discern comprehensiveness 
and sort of safety in in presentation, avoiding the um, the belly flop that would that would dominate the news and have Republicans crowing. Liz Cheney, what an interesting question, man! She deserves in some future uh, political landscape not too far away to to really come to prominence, be a bona fide presidential candidate. And it seems to me, you know, I'm not a political expert, but the dynamic there is can she get past the Republican Party, uh, you know, in her state that hates her? Because I think even in a general election, Wyoming or nationally, she's really won a lot of respect. So can they take her down at the most local level? And then McCarthy. 100 percent agree he you know what a bald face lie everyone knows it was a bald face lie things he's running away from including having said and this is huge evidence that we have a right to to know that the president of the united states said contrary to all this crap we're hearing since he knows he was in the wrong that's huge He's he's lying his way around it. Will he get away with it? His calculation is obviously that if he has any chance of being the next speaker of the House, which is the only thing he cares about, no patriotism, no principle, he's got to just flat out lie. Um, will he get away with it? Well, if in November they take the, the House and, you know, he, he's counting on his people to be indifferent about his obvious moral um, failings. Um, could that could that I, I certainly wouldn't bet uh, against it in the sense that I wouldn't bet for any kind of uprising among re Republicans saying, how could you lie about such important um, uh, matters? But that that's not just primary, but secondary and tertiary. And the only thing he's thinking about you know, it just says volumes about where we and the Republican it's, Party is are that, today. Is that gavel. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yep. That's all he's thinking about is that gavel. And yeah, I do think Kevin McCarthy is an idiot. But what what really he's not going to go to jail upsetting. for it, but he should go to political infamy. But he won't. Not in 2022. And not just him. Oh, yeah. All of the Republicans that Jim are playing by, go, Trump's, yeah. by, by Trump's playbook, right? So what they used to do during the campaign is they used to send out talking points. And it's interesting because since it worked, Donald believes that talking points would be the key to a successful presidency. Yeah. And so every single day, anytime there was anything going on, there would be somebody working for the president, that would send out talking points memos to all of the Republicans yeah. across the board. If, in fact, you're going to go on television, here are the words that we want you to say. It was no different. Once again, is my House oversight, right? Constantly calling, make sure you call Michael Cohen a felon. Make sure you remind him he's going to prison. Make sure that you turn around and call him a convicted liar. And they would basically line them up on things that they wanted each and every one of the Republicans to say. And, and not doing to say, the same still. make sure you don't try right. to actually confront the arguments here. We don't look so good there. That's right. Ex exactly. You have... You, you hit the nail right on the head, right? So let me ask you this then, Harry. Do you think it's possible that the evidence the January 6th committee has can open up a Watergate-type situation, right? Because Merrick Garland is moving at a fucking snail's pace. 
but they have actually coordinated with the January 6th committee, and they now have all the closed-door transcripts. What are your thoughts on that? And being that we now know that they have opened some sort of an investigation, the info, like the who and the what, can you speculate on any of this? You know, a little bit. So first, again, we, you and I have our have our 30 <laughs> seconds of, of uh, opposition on uh, every time I, I appear and every time, which I always uh, enjoy and, and find but very But you're not supposed to agree with me. But, I say yeah, this all the time. Yeah, so I don't I'm, want so you as my, as my guest. Yeah, so I'm, again, reserving my objection of how fast he's moving, what he's doing, what, what is in his, his mindset. So let's start with the committee. Will they open up a Watergate? Depends what you mean by Watergate. Here's what I mean by by Watergate. We had this third-rate burglary, and then you had hearings, and John Dean and Jeb Magruder, and all of a sudden we had what uh, John Dean called aptly a cancer on the government. So it metastasized from some, you know, little misdemeanors to a huge, you know, political felony. Do we have that? I think we do have that. And we're going to show that that the, the January 6th, far from being some kind of spontaneous uh, eruption by by some crazy MAGA uh, patriots was, in fact, the culmination, the sort of fourth and final stage of a series of of unlawful episodes to undo the election that started shortly after the election. In that sense, factually, we have a Watergate. Now, what you're when you ask about the Department of Justice, will they will it be prosecuted like a um, a, a Watergate when you know Ehrlichman, Haldeman, uh, Colson, Dean? You know, many people went to uh, jail. Of course, Nixon didn't because he had the, um, you know, Liddy. Liddy, yep. you know, he had the, the the respect for the institution to just resign and get out of there, which which uh, Trump uh, won't. I can just say that, um, you know, I that I credit what what Garland said on January 5th, that they're going to go where the facts and law lead them. And again, comparing to Watergate. Let's say for the time being that even though everyone's clamoring for Trump's head on a platter or in an orange jumpsuit with his with his hair, uh, you know, revealed to be to be bald. Um, let's put that aside for a moment. And I will say that as in Watergate, where the people I talked about went to jail and were ruined, there's real peril, I think, for the Mark Meadowses of of the world, maybe the Jared uh, Kushner's people who were who were involved, who were serious government officials and abuser uh, abusers of official power. Okay, now will that will that lead ultimately to a criminal um, uh, prosecution of Donald Trump, which would everyone you know seems to be um, uh, you know mostly wondering about, of course. I don't know. And as I've said before, there's 18 different things you have to factor in when you're talking about. I'll just say personally, to me, the case has gotten a lot stronger because he's he's continued to be. He's just redoubled in his jackass ways. 
And it's totally appropriate for a, you know, the federal law enforcement to think here's a guy who not only did all this crap, but he wants to do it again. He's completely unrepentant and it's enacting real damage to the the republic. So, you know, at the 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 point of view that many people can good, solid prosecutorial small C conservative people are coming around to, which is the only thing worse than prosecuting him would be not prosecuting him. You know, I, I think is, you know, the, the, um, the turmoil and the uh, kind of upheaval that it would entail is colossal. Like what nevertheless, we're seeing, yeah, like what we're seeing here in New York, what a, you know, what a jackass that, that, that he is, you know, doubling down and unrepentant and society, it, it makes society have a right to, you know, it, there must be a social judgment that what happened then and what he did was deeply, deeply wrong. And if the, you know, the, the committee in history is a, is a step there, but if it's an inadequate step, I'll just say I'm confident that that will be something that that Merrick Garland will take into account. But it would be the you know, it's it's too easy for everyone else to say, yeah, put it, you know, put him in the dock. You know, there's quite a lot there and it would be the hardest decision any attorney general ever has has made. But again, when you say Watergate, yes, in two senses big widespread and throughout the government or important players and real possible jeopardy for people below the presidential level. So that's, that's already serious. So Harry, yeah. tell me, what is it that we don't agree with? Well, you said I that there's 30 seconds sure. here that we don't agree I, with. The 30 seconds is your, your reflexive adoption law and you're in very large company of uh, Garland is dragging his feet. He's not doing anything. He's going too slow, you know, et cetera. That's that when at least you channel that view, I'm always pushed to stand up for my old boss and a great attorney general and a meticulous professional Merrick Garland. Those are the 30 seconds. All right. So, so you're right. You and I yeah. are going to disagree. I yeah. think he's worthless. I think that <laughs> yeah. If I was Biden and he wants to have any shot for whether it's he who's going to run again in 2024 or any Democrat, if they're going to have a shot, they're going to really need to find an attorney general that actually wants to move. You know, people, I unfortunately, to differ, have a my very good sir, but, but yeah, I'll leave it at that. Yeah, right. So people, you know, in this country, you're right. We have um, we have a need for action and we want that action to take place in a fair and reasonable period yeah. of time. The question of course then becomes is it fair and reasonable that we're now how long into this more than more than a year into into this insurrection into a coup against our country and yet who are the only people that got prosecuted? Bunch of dumb fucking hillbilly jerkoffs, right? These oath keepers, this this fucking shaman, this moron running around in a clown suit. You know, I mean, these are the people. That's not the people that we want All right, but to be it, held we're accountable. At a different stage. These are the idiots. Yeah. But we're at a different oh, stage no of a stage. historical counting back to Watergate, Michael. 1972 is the break-in. 1974 is when the shit hits the fan with Nixon. And after that is when people go to jail. The wheels of justice grind slowly, but they grind fine. 
Yeah, unfortunately, too, un- unfortunately uh, way too yeah. slow. But Harry, look, you're a law school professor, so you're clearly <laughs> a lot smarter than me, right? And you work with a lot uh, of smart young yeah. people. Um, you're just you know, a country lawyer. <laughs> yeah, what right. Do you feel? <laughs> yeah, I'm just, well, I'm just a disbarred lawyer. Hi, I'm Bill Maher, and I'm speaking to you from the undisclosed location I like to call Club Random. It's where I've been talking to all sorts of interesting and funny people in one-on-one conversations for the new podcast I'm dropping that I'm telling you about right now. There's something about sitting at a bar in a club in a nighttime setting that produces the rawest, realist conversations I can imagine. Music and gossip and health and movies. And why do we have to have game nights? Can't we just sit around and drink and talk? Club Random, the Bill Maher podcast. Get it wherever you get your podcast or on YouTube. What do you feel like their level of engagement is with regards to the upcoming Who's, who's level of engagement? I mean, are they... Are, I'm talking about the young, you know, the young smart uh, people that are out there, um, the ones who you're teaching. Are they as worried as we are that if we lose in the midterms, that we're not just going to suffer absurd retribution from the GOP, but that Republicans will ultimately lead us into an autocracy? That's a real. Yeah, Do you talk about that really with your students? Question, Michael. And uh, on the one hand, I think they are appalled at what they're seeing, but they do, I think, lack a certain historical um, perspective. So 2016, right, that's all that that's already six years ago, a 24 year old was, you know, was 18 and worrying about, uh, you know, getting a a, a phony driver's license. I um, so I do think the mind blowing un unprecedented assault on the country, which, as I say, there's only, you know, you can compare only to the Civil War and the post-Civil War era, the fragility of the American experiment that's been shown in these last five years, unlike anything in my lifetime, unlike remotely anything in my lifetime, I don't think that comes home to them in in the the sort of really outrageous way that it does to you and me and older people. So, yes, they're, you know, instinctually against uh, the things that that Trump has done, but they're also very worried about climate change and they're worried about getting a job after graduation, et cetera. So the enormity, the historical enormity of it, I think maybe doesn't uh, come home the way it does to you and me. Yeah, you know, one of the things that I talk about constantly on this program is what I'm asking of all of my listeners, and we're killing it out there, right? But not enough. I mean, you know, 1.3 million downloads. Most people would say, hey, that's pretty great per month. We need we need 10 million a month. We need to expand Mea Culpa because Mea Culpa, as I talk about this all the time, it's not just a podcast. I'm trying to turn Mea Culpa into a movement and a movement that also encompasses the young, the Gen Z, you know, um, the millennials. Why? Because they're going to be the most significant voting block in the country. And we need their energy because we're tired. Right. You know, we're older, we're tired, we're we're kind of beaten down after, you know, listening to Trump's stupidity and the 
bullshit every day for now five and a half years. We need this young, energetic, intelligent group of, of voters to start really getting out there, pounding the pavement, making sure that they vote, that they, their friends vote, their family vote, but vote for right. And I'm not saying that means only vote for Democrats. I'm saying vote for people who are not so far to the right that are willing to allow Donald Trump to take a shit on our constitution and to destroy our democracy all for his personal gain to, to, to become the autocrat, to be the first king of the United States of America, which is really what he envisions himself as. Now, I'll give you an example, right? So let's just move on for a second and talk about abortion rights and gun safety. I just, okay, but I want, can we move? I just want one quick comment. First, whether it's, you know, Mayor Copa and ma many, many, many uh, voices are engaged here, but we, you have this problem of intractable uh, things on the right. But I just want to say everything you're talking about is a product of minority rule, the weirdness of the electoral college or how different things work. So you're right. I mean, ultimately, if if it were true majority rule in the in this country, that would be a, 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 a comprehensive solution. Uh, and we just don't don't have that for, you know, constitutional quirks, among other things. But, yes, let's talk abortion and gun. Rights. All right. So and these are obviously things that are of significant concern to this younger generation, yeah. abortion rights, gun safety. They are going to be pivotal issues for the Democrats going into the midterms. Do you get a sense that the Supreme Court will risk their reputation and perhaps the midterms if they rule against Roe v. Wade and then turn around and expand gun rights? I mean, do you think the court even cares? Wait, do I get the sense that it'll hurt their rep uh, Yeah, or, or do I get a sense that they're ready to risk it? I get a sense that they're ready to risk it. I, I think... And the, let me ask you the, the second um, part of that no, question, though. Do you think that the court yeah. even cares about the will of the people anymore? Or do they just see themselves as being above the law? Yeah, I think that is a loaded way to uh, put it. Um, uh, but look, my my indictment of this court has been that there's now this lockstep supermajority that doesn't care. I wouldn't say they consider themselves above the law, but they have extreme views of the law that the legal community and and it matters, the American public doesn't share. Now, are they ready to temper those views because they know that the legal community and the American public doesn't share it? I don't think so. I think on the contrary, they came of age in a sort of strong culture that inculcated them in the view that they were right, notwithstanding the benightedness of others in America and the legal community, and they are ready to storm ahead and, you know, establish their their views. They're unabashed about it. And in that sense, you know, they won't be stopped by, including by arguments of their colleagues and on the other side. We'll see how this plays out in the abortion case, which is obviously the most dramatic. But the, the basic answer to your question is, I think this court is ready to go ahead and and um, assert really move the law to the not just to the right, really do a, a demolition job on the law as it currently stands. And they they've come of age believing, you know, died in the wool that they're right. And now they're in a position they don't have to listen to the other side. OK, so then let's then since we're talking about the Supreme Court, we're talking about these various rulings. Yeah. 
Let's bring up Ginny Thomas, right? She somehow managed to escape any real condemnation. And Clarence Thomas, Supreme Court judge, is telling the public that we need to accept outcomes that we don't like. I mean, I assume he means the abortion ruling and guns, you know, and guns as well. You know, for, I mean, literally... I just don't understand him. So if you would try, because I can't figure it out, explain to me why these two haven't skulked away in shame. Instead, they just stick their chin out there as if they're right about anything that's coming out of their mouth. Because the Supreme Court needs an ethics overhaul. That's my opinion. But why hasn't he at least resigned? And he should resign and resign in shame or even shown a single shred of fucking concern that he's been compromised. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. All right. So this is a tricky problem. I I agree in a heartbeat that Ginny Thomas has been really uh, she's a political warrior and it's just completely irresponsible of her, not just because, you know, she embraces the big lie, has done things that are, you know, arguably uh, on the same wrong side of criminality as other, you know, most insiders. And she's done and been able to do it because of her role as a justice's wife. So that's really a you know unseemly state fucking of affairs shady, i'll take man. back the criminal That's stuff fucking <laughs> shady so so um now what's that mean for so i think that is in fact the bigger problem and in that sense they're the you know they're a couple that present themselves as kind of on a certain team and cultural warriors. Remember when he was first confirmed, he said the liberals made me miserable for 43 years. I'm going to make them miserable for 43 years. Now, I don't think you can ascribe the her political um, work, which is wrong, unseemly on a couple levels to him. Uh, And so, you know, the calls to recuse, you need to have something that really hits home in a particular case, like he's going to consider her conduct or her emails or whatever. The whole situation is an ugly mess. And, um, you know, they they both, especially she, but he as well have been, you know, unduly um uh affiliated with with a team which is not you know the the right role for um a justice but i think that uh, rather than the sort of technical how does recusal play out and you're right the absence of any ethics code that i think is secondary to just the whole ugliness of you know what we know is a number of supreme court justices who seem strongly to be on a side and you know look, justices should look, not be on harry, a side harry you're right they should not be on a side and there have been now countless countless articles and conversations yeah. by legal ethics experts who yeah almost all unanimously agree that justice thomas must recuse himself in the insurrection cases all of them. And yet, of course, he didn't yeah. do that. And so on. and what it does is it it gives it gives the populace something to clamor about 
something nefarious going on inside of our Supreme Court, whether it is or it isn't, becomes irrelevant. He has corrupted the integrity of the Supreme Court in terms of his rulings, in terms of the way that he handled um, the actions of Jeannie Thomas, the way that he responded to them, and so on. That's what it does. It just... It detracts from the look, Supreme I'm, Court. I'm, look, I'm no I'm no big fan of his jurisprudence and the overall situation is kind of a black guy. But the question of recusing would come to an individual case. And if there, if she's at play at all, he, he needs to recuse. And that's what all the experts have said. We haven't had that yet. But as I say, I think recusal almost understates or minimizes the the, the general uh stakes here but but you know viewed in that in that narrow way a it's not going to happen uh because they Agreed. don't they don't have their own code but b also you know that that involves whether you know a specific case could implicate her and and as i say that that i think is even smaller than the overall uh yeah. uh problem but i but i think people have been too quick to say he should you know, resign or recuse from from everything. It's it's less that than I think a broader kind of alliance with uh with you know that we have a terribly polarized country and he doesn't help. Yeah, no, he does not. So let me ask you this then, Harry. Do you yeah. think that there's any way that Trump will ever actually go to jail? I mean, there is the case in Georgia, which you brought up. There's yeah. the case still in New York, but that's civil, could turn criminal with Tish James. I mean, he's got lawsuits everywhere. Forget but realistic, that one, but go, realistically, go, yeah. do you see a path that would put Donald behind bars? I mean, could he get caught up with Navarro and the Green um, Green Bay sweep deal? Do you think any of this is remotely possible? Yes, if you say remotely. And the Georgia thing I've always said is the most serious form, but involve a lot of constitutional issues. But I, if you're if you're asking, you know, as a betting man, would I bet on it? Uh, you know, bet on the on what would be so exhilarating for so many people, him in the orange jumpsuit. If I'm betting, I'm betting. No, you know, and and you know, he and really folks, that's the Las Vegas odds right now it. have just changed. Las Vegas odds right. on Trump going to prison has now just changed. Thanks to Harry Littman. <laughs> <Thanks, laughs> so, yeah. Right. Could you possibly yeah, yeah. imagine so, that? So, one? so, yeah. T- yeah. T- take the other. Mo- right. Exactly. Take the vig. Take the vig. Now, I got to say that, um, you know, it's just um, my best uh, overall guess, but it's gotten less remote than it than just, you know, uh, it seemed even a year ago. And in part of that is because of his of his unrepentant, you know, and, com- you know, complete um, sort of in your face attitude about his criminal conduct, which is something a prosecutor fairly does take into account. Do pe- are people repentant or not? Yeah, well, unfortunately, he's not. And um, I I tend to agree with you. But the bad part is Democrats continuously scream this adage, no one is above the law. No one is above the law. And that's actually, you know, was the Joe Biden, you know, call, which put him into the White House. Sadly, yeah, I think Donald Trump is above the law. I really do. And he does also, which is why he said that he could walk down Fifth Avenue, shoot someone, you know, 
not go to jail, and actually not even lose a vote. But let me ask you this. Total All right, side. but look, he's in Aaron Burr and other... The, the verdict of history will be very, very heavily against him, not just as a bad president, but as a criminal, I think. Yeah, except Sorry, for the fact ahead. that you have Saudi Arabia handing over $3 billion plus dollars to his family, yeah. right? So I'm yeah, sure he's yeah. worried about how history is going to you know, see them. But a total sidebar, a total sidebar he, yeah. here. Yeah. On yeah. Twitter... You posted your yeah. thoughts on the Johnny Depp Amber Heard trial, and your perspective was pretty interesting. Would you care to yeah. share with my audience what's so compelling about this case and why you think such a high-profile guy like Johnny Depp would pursue a case yeah. like this? All right, I was a little embarrassed to do it. It's, it's sort of tabloid stuff, but legally it was interesting. And here's the thing. He's a public figure. And as we know, like about newspapers, that means anyone who sues them for defamation has a really high, you know, the Constitution. This is actually one of the fundaments of the Constitution that Clarence Thomas and others seen on the court seem interested in undoing. But you have to make a really high showing. As a result, look it up. There's almost never uh, defamation lawsuits against public figures. And if there are, it settles. So he's a public figure and he wins. And that's, a, you know, so they they decided that she had actually acted with what we call constitutional malice. So that part was interesting. And it's interesting that he brought it in the first place. Everybody in his position would be advised. You don't need the money. You're just dragging yourself through the mud. Well, even if you she comes out worse, you're you're going to come out worse. I'm sure he was advised repeatedly. Don't bring it. And yet he decided to. I found that interesting. He obviously didn't do it for the money. He's Johnny Depp and he's kind of mercurial. So that's part of it. But I think he really felt, you know, well, for one, he was um, infuriated because he apparently lost Pirates of the Caribbean as a result. But he also, you know, wanted to establish that it was false, maybe for his children, but it, people should understand it was a really unusual, maybe even stupid move at the time. But it, but he now comes out as the big winner. So legally, and in the sort of history of defamation law, I found it a kind of uh, you know uh, in, interesting and unusual example. So you there know, you have it. Yeah. So you know, to, um, there was just the Avenatti. Um, sentence yeah, that he, came he out today by four, Judge Furman. Four four years? Y- he got yeah. four years yeah. and so on. And what I thought was very interesting, because, you know, obviously I have no regard for Michael Avenatti. Yeah. Uh, the lies that he told about me was part of the reason the FBI, why the SDNY came at me with the vigor that they did, because this moron was out there lying about me and they really needed um, their win. And they thought that he was going to do something that could potentially jeopardize their claim. To make a long story short here, the guy gets four years for stealing money from Stormy Daniels. I went to prison for paying Stormy Daniels. The rest of the stuff, the five <laughs> counts of tax evasion, it's a lie. Yeah. It's a lie. There was no All right, tax The moral evasion. here, everybody stay away from, and, and, and of course the president had 
sex with her. And the, the moral, everyone stay away from Stormy Daniels. But you're, but no, you're, I wouldn't you're right, say, you know? no, it had nothing and, to do with Stormy Daniels. Well, what you want to do is you want to yeah. stay away from people like Avenatti, considering, you know, one of the things that prosecutors stated is that the defendant, meaning Michael Avenatti, certainly had the right to defend himself at trial. Yeah. But he's not entitled to a benefit for showing remorse, having sure. done so only when convenient and only after seeking to humiliate his victim at a public trial and denigrating and insulting her for months to her agent and publisher, right, while holding himself out as taking up her cause against the powerful who might have taken advantage of her, right? This is the problem. And I just want to tie this back to yes. what we were talking about when he first fires Flynn and everyone was like, holy cow. And and remember, at That's that time, was Avenatti was on every right. cable show going and was riding high, was considering a presidential run. So what I want, it's it's a tragedy. It's a it's an infuriating uh, set of episodes. But in the words of a band, probably too old for most of your listeners, what a long, strange trip it's been. <laughs> uh, amen. So look, as the hour comes to an end and, you know, whenever we get into this, it always goes by fast. I have one last question for you. All right. Shoot. Now, Biden and Trump are both old guys. I mean, Biden may not want to run again, but if he doesn't, I'm thinking that Kamala doesn't get the nod. I don't think she has a chance. Who do you think could get wide Democratic support and beat the GOP in 2024? No matter, I mean, no matter who they run, because this election will be at least to some degree about the culture wars that are going on. Who do you, the Democrats have yeah. that can actually win? And first, let me just expand that. Who do you think would be the Republican candidate and who do you think would be the Democratic candidate and which Democratic candidate you choose could ultimately win? Yeah. So first, way out of my expertise, but I indulge in it, same as everybody else. And the Dems, who I think have been pretty responsible in governing, are justifiably taken to task for having a really thin bench, especially of new generation, uh, you know, folks. Uh, I was really impressed at the time last time around with Cory Booker. Uh, sent, you know, and I and I think he's a he's a real possible comer. And Amy Klobuchar, I think, would would jump at it in a in a heartbeat. And she's you know smart and could be could be strong. Uh, on the Republican side, you know, to me, the 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 two front runners are DeSantis and Abbott, both uh, both creepy and embody some of the worst of Trump, but but avoiding some of his, you know, most obvious um, soci sociopathy. Um, I, I think DeSantis is the more likely and the more uh, worrisome of the of the two. And, you know, the question is, who could go into his shoes, but but get a few more votes because they might seem a little less crazy. So anyway, what do I know is next to next to nothing. But but I, you know, see uh, th those two. But the Dems need badly to develop a next generation of um, true presidential contenders. I totally agree with you. And Harry, I think, you know, a lot which is why I constantly ask you to come back here on Maya Culpa. I thank you for your time, for your insight. Um, and I don't want you to agree always, with me on everything. No, nobody oh, no, should, no, no, nobody no, yeah. should agree with me on, you know, on everything. Right. I don't I'll think anybody. I'll keep coming back, and then one day, one day I'll agree with you, and that'll be my last uh, appearance on Maya Culpa. <laughs> Sad day it'll be. Michael, th thanks very much, as always, for having me. Thanks for joining. Be well. 
And now for today's mea culpa. Have you seen this guy, Denver Ringelman? He's got an old student flat top, looks sort of like an FBI agent from the 70s TV show. Anyway, before Riggleman became a Republican representative in the House, he worked in special ops security, and still does, and he's using his know-how to crack the January 6th insurrection case by helping the committee decode the text messages sent to and from Trump and Mark Meadows. Riggleman told CNN's Anderson Cooper that what scared him the most about what he uncovered is, and I quote, my bemusement turned into horror pretty quickly. I actually had to get away from my computer a couple of times as I was looking at some of these text messages. Point is, what Riggleman saw scared the shit out of him. He goes on to say that Meadows' texts are like a roadmap into what happened on the 6th, but that it's impossible to get your arms around just how sick and bewildering the entire plot really was, and how apparently the higher up the chain of command, the more horrific the conspiracies became. These were the people running our government, or rather, these were the people who almost took our democracy down. And as Denver Riggleman says, you really can't make this stuff up any of it. An attempted coup, a ragtag cast of unlikely heroes, total imbeciles, and flat-out fucking mob-style criminals. Bombs placed around by a shadowy figure, burner phones, really good cops who suffered at the hands of their fellow Americans, and then Trump? Plus a QAnon shaman, some death and mayhem, and now a hearing, not even a trial. But whatever the outcome, there will likely be criminal charges but they won't get everyone. Some will walk away scot-free, and it will break our hearts, but it will also set us up for the sequel. What a fucking story about our tribalism and our differences, our patriotism, but with a subplot so fucking absurd that it really pulls you out of the narrative, because it's impossible to believe that roughly 40% of us are still under the spell of a script that's so full of holes and so badly written. What the hell happened, America? I just hope the hearings explain the whole story, and I'm talking about the real story, the full story, and that we wake up from this nightmare better prepared for the sequel. And thanks for listening. Mea Culpa is brought to you by Audio Up, Midas Touch, and LSJ Media, and it's written and produced by Jimmy Jelinek. Executive producers are Jared Gustat, Jimmy Jelinek, myself, Michael Cohen, and Phil Alberstadt. Our editor is Lisa Orkin. It may be a new day politically, but nowadays the landscape is more confusing than ever. Donald Trump may have lost the battle for the presidency, but in many ways, Trumpism is winning the war on the state and local level. Mea culpa is here to help guide you through the wilderness and keep you informed. And let's face it, we all want Trump, Rudy, and the rest of these seditious traitors to see justice. And folks, it's coming. So stay tuned as I guide you through the twists and turns of the criminal process that will ultimately see them behind bars. Mea culpa, nothing but the truth. (sighs) 